That's pretty easy. My parents were part of the big migration from the Midwest to the California in the 50s. And they were both small town Minnesota Lutherans. <laughs> so I had a very traditional Lutheran upbringing in a Missouri Synod church. So it was uh, children's choir and uh, vacation Bible school every year, no questions about it. Went to Sunday youth group in my high school years. Two years of confirmation classes. And um, church every Sunday of my life until I was 17 and graduated and went to college. Yeah. Yeah. You shared with me, uh, well, first of all, as you look back on those years, were they positive? Were there, was it negative? Was it kind of a mixture of both? Or how do you look, look on to that, uh, look back uh, on that, that? To my upbringing? church upbringing? Yeah. In a, in a pretty conservative denomination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it was positive. First, church was kind of a solemn event. We didn't talk in the pews. Um, it, much of it was, the service was chanted, which I loved, especially the communion service. I've been hearing that in my head again as I've been talking to Steve about this. Um, so, you know, confessing your sins and all that, cleansing yourself so you were worthy of communion was all very serious in that church. And um, I can't say that was a bad thing. I, used to, I learned to take uh, religion seriously, I guess. But my, and we always were taught to say prayers at mealtime and at bedtime, but I never, ever heard my parents pray in between or really ever talk to us children about what we were learning in Sunday school. Mm. You know, it was other people who gave us our Christian education, but my parents got us there. Interesting. Mm -hmm. so. Two years of confirmation. Twi every, twice a week. Twice with, a week, with wow. Our, our old pastor, seventh and eighth grade, who had Parkinson's and spoke very slowly. And we just ground our way through the Luther's small catechism, mm. it's called. And we basically memorized it. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, if you don't know, a catechism is a series of questions and answers. And it was used by the church to to teach people, and they're really good. So you almost have the education of a pastor. Oh, surely. <laughs> so those are deep roots. Uh -huh. uh, what were some of the truths that you came away with that you think are, I would think, are, whether you acknowledged it or not, are really kind of the, the really? foundation of your life? I know that well, Lutherans I, talk I know a lot this, about grace. Uh, yeah, I know the story of Jesus inside and out. Okay, that's good. Um, I love the Lutheran Church's focus on grace. Mm. And um, I never doubted that I lived in God's grace, even when I walked away from church services for many years, many years. Um, I went to my uncle's funeral about three years ago back in Minnesota, and... Uh, it was a Lutheran service, and it was so beautiful. It was to be back in the language of grace was really lovely. And so your grace sermon series, series was great. Yeah. But the other thing I carried from uh, confirmation uh, was the statement that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And personally, it's the omnipresent part that just fascinated me. And part of my faith journey has been, I think, 
trying to find ways to prepare myself to encounter the omnipresent God within me mm. and within everything. It's a diff very different image of God than um, God as a figure. Right. And early on, I had to figure out what that meant, that God was omnipresent. Yeah. I mean, that's a really different worldview than most people have today, right? Especially grace that, I mean, grace says everything is a gift, right? Mm -hmm. Every breath we take in mm -hmm. is a gift. And it really stresses our dependence upon God. That That is such a different worldview, right? I mean, than what <laughs> our culture says today. How Can you think of any ways that, that either one of those truths has really um, impacted your life or or influenced the way you've lived your life? Oh. Julie's very smart, by the way, so <laughs> I, I can challenge her to think through these things. <laughs> um, I basically walked away from church when I went to college, and yeah. um, many years later, Tom and I were married and had two boys by then, and um, an account, well, let's see. We had the trauma of the birth and death of our first child in a very traumatic way. And I th th think it sort of hollowed me out in a way. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that or didn't understand it. But years later, but we, we baptized our children. Um, turns out Tom was raised Lutheran too, but we didn't know that until we'd been dating for a year. I think we were engaged before we figured that out. That's you know? amazing. And um, I never f rejected God, but I didn't feel connected mm -hmm. after all those years. And Tom and I both, uh, Tom in particular, started feeling a need to explore church and have a church life for our family. But for me, there was a moment where I, um, someone, I was a lawyer. I was on the, someone from the other side of the case uh, worked for the Forest Service, a woman, and I became good friendly. And so we're sitting here having lunch one day. The case, I think, was still going on. It was infinite. And, um, and somehow I found out she was in a church, active in a church, and she told me I should read a book by Marcus Borg called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. So here's this, you know, opponent suggesting a book. I read it, and it started getting me thinking about who is Jesus? What's his role in all of this? And um, Did it give you a different view of the Jesus that you knew through confirmation and early years in Sunday school? Did, yeah. Yeah. Um, Marcus Borg was one of the founders of the, uh, it's called, it was called the Jesus Seminar. It still exists. A bunch of biblical scholars who um, Research the historical Jesus. And there's all these books, and they had a journal. I have piles of them still, I discovered. And um, I went to some of their seminars. And thinking about Jesus as a human being and as a radical rebel in the Palestinian era, it started making him a human being to me, more of a human being than the Christ figure. Mm. And um, that's... So I spent a lot of time like listening and thinking and reading about um, that strand of studies, I guess. Meanwhile, um, we started 
coming to this church, and it just felt like home. And one reason is these windows. I thank God every time I walk in this building for these beautiful windows that I stare at all through this service. And the others, you know, uh, we had a woman minister here. Steve Main was doing beautiful music. And it was felt like a friendly place to us. But early on, I joined a Bible study class. Carolyn Davis, you may remember the minister's wife, ran a very popular Bible study for a while. And, um, and then some of us, oh, and Steve Main taught a class on meditation. And that, was, that just hooked me. The sense that you could access God through silence. And then I've spent many years, the rest of my life since then, I have pursued meditation in various ways. I've spent time in Buddhist retreats, and I've spent a lot of time on a yoga mat and in meditation and chanting. And I'm simultaneously, you know, a committed churchgoer. That just supports my, my belief in the Christian God. But a diffuse Christian to God. Yeah. The omnipresent one. Right. I don't think you learned about that in uh, your confirmation class. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, it's definitely. different. Um, and you know, one of the reasons I asked you to share your faith is because of the little that I knew know of you. Um, I would say you're a seeker. You're someone who continues to seek after God and wants to grow. Uh, in your relationship with God um, and grow in faith. Is, would you say that's true? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very kind of you to say that about yeah. me, Steve. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Um, all I can do is describe a journey for the last 30-some years through lots of study and practice, you know, practice of prayer and prayer through meditation. I do my best. No, I don't do my best. I do what I do. I could do a lot better. So when, when we talked, you talked to me a lot. You mentioned practice quite a bit, spiritual practices. Uh-huh. Um, you said worship is a spiritual practice for uh-huh. you and really a cornerstone. Um, and that yeah. at some point you committed to being here. See, I find these people that come every Sunday to be an example to all of us. <laughs> you, you, you can credit my husband for a lot of this. Right, but you, you said that that's made a huge impact in your life and that you committed to that. Um, can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about it? That's, yeah. Well, first of all, what is a, how would you define, why do you call them practices? Um, and then second of all, uh, how has that particular practice made a difference in your life? Oh. Um, it's a practice because you put it on your calendar and you do it, whether you want to or not, on a given day, right? And that's the way I feel about coming to church. And, you know, what are the benefits? A, I feel such a sense of love and community in this church with everybody. I need community in my life. I can't find God alone. God speaks through the other people in my life, and I need that support. Um, Our lives are so crazy busy that just making some things happen regularly is hard. And therefore, um, it's telling God, you you know, you really want to be there and share something, right? (laughs) Because I'm going to be there. And 
I love the beauty of the service. I love the music. I love the, the voices in unison. Mm. Um, so that's good. The other thing is I sit with my husband and we both hear a message that's good for us and we share it, you know. Um, and there have been times that are hard and when the minister's telling you to forgive and move on, it's good to hear it from an outside voice. So I think uh, it's good for relationships to share being in church together. So once again, we kind of come to this, this vertical relationship with God really affecting our horizontal relationships, which yeah. we've seen in a couple of these faith stories now. Mm -hmm. And so you would say that, that that practice of sitting with Tom in worship, and then I'm sure you guys talk about it afterwards. You're both both lawyers, right? No, I'm Thomas. Oh, lawyer. that's right. Thomas Thank is a goodness. PhD. No. Yeah, uh, that, that you you talk about it and how it uh, affects your life and all. Yeah, that. Yeah, we rate you every week. I know. <laughs> I'll give you no. little cards so you can just hold them up out there. Like, um, yeah, I mean that it does. It gives you something in common, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. To talk about. Yeah, and you can say that Bible passage really spoke to me today. I mean, it's a good thing to share with your spouse. Yep. So, you've also mentioned, the, to me, the practice of silence or solitude in the silence. Mm -hmm. And that's been a big part of your journey, mm -hmm. uh, which we've also seen in, in some of these other faith stories. You know, most people would say, that's just crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, our culture that is so loud and boisterous and always in our face, uh, what you're talking about, being still and being quiet, either in a room or outside or with a group of people, whatever it might be, that is so contrarian. And uh, I think most people would say, what a waste of time, you know? And uh, I, I wonder how why do you spend time doing that, and, and how is, why has that been so important to you? Because I, I think it's, you know, we talked about, I, I love this quote by Blaise Pascal, who says, all human evil comes from a single cause, and that is uh, man's or hum, humankind's inability to sit still oh, in a room. And, and I would say that's true. I mean, I think Henry Nouwen, the great, Catholic spiritual writer also says, without stillness, without solitude, spiritual life is impossible. Um, so why do you do that? And why, what difference has it made? How does, how does that uh, work in your life and in your relationship with God? Okay. Back to Steve Maine in there meditation class, the, the, the thing that was the most important that he said of many important things was, look, if you're ever going to meet God, it's going to be in the present moment, right? And um, so how do you put yourself in the present moment? That's what mindfulness meditation is all about. And I just, I got it, you know. You're at your most receptive and purest when your mind is quiet and you're not planning and you're not remembering. You're in the moment. So how do you get there? And um, so meditation just made sense to me. And personally, it felt good. My nervous system loves calming down. I am an introvert. I like 
quiet. But I also really loved, I meditated with a group for 20-some years. We had an ongoing group, Christian meditation group. It's very important to have the support of other people meditating. One of the most wonderful experiences is being silent in a room with a small group or a huge group, you know, sitting in absolute silence for 20 minutes. It's a very moving experience. And I just enjoy it. And then when I come back, whether I've been praying words to God, the idea is, no, you're not. You're listening. I'm listening for whatever but in a listening, receptive mode. And then when I get up and walk away, I'm a better person. Mm. I'm more receptive to the people around me. Mm. I may have had an insight pop into my head, and I feel better. I feel more energy, able to go out and try to do something constructive Mm. um, for my family, for somebody else, whatever it is, for myself. So those are the benefits to me. It's great. Okay. Um, and you mentioned to me also that you've explored the Benedictine rule of life and yeah. really appreciated those. And I appreciate those a great deal too. Um, their prayer, that kind of the core values are prayer, work, um, study, practices. Um, they emphasize communal study in that. Uh, hospitality, welcoming all, all persons as Christ's as Christ himself, and then also renewal of making sure that uh, we're aware of beauty around us, which is something else that Mm -hmm. you mentioned. And I think that's part of your awareness of the stained glass um, and practicing the presence of God. Have you appreciated these uh, quite a bit in your journey? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the rule of Benedict is just wonderful. This Christian meditation center that I that some of us women from this church Bible study group went there, discovered it, went there, and took less, another course in meditation. And I sort of never left. I was connected to that place as long as it existed. And um, it was a renegade former nun founded this place. She still called herself sister and was celibate. And she um, styled it an urban, urban Benedictine non-residential community. So Benedict, we studied, um, we meditated, and we studied the rule of Benedict and Benedictine values. Benedict lived in the fifth century. He wrote the rule by which virtually all Western monastic communities function. Many of them are, are Benedictine. And it's a beautiful rule for living in community. It's stressing moderation. And every day you should have time to work, to pray. They chant the Psalms like four times a day. And, but what I loved about it, it, it was um, especially hospitality, right? It was how to find the sacred in the everyday acts. Mm-hmm. That's where like washing the dishes as sacred objects. You know, if you can get yourself to do that, it feels really good. Right. And, Treating, you know, they they kept the Europe alive kind of during the Middle Ages. They offered hospitality to everyone who would come to their doors. What a beautiful example right. of hospitality to everyone. And those simple values, you know, simple values. Find the sacred in your everyday work. 
treat everyone with hospitality, do everything in moderation, not my strong suit, um, were values that I think were wonderful. And I enjoyed studying the rule. And uh, I'm all in favor of Benedict and his sister, Scholastica. <laughs> I, I told Julia, uh, one of my roommates from college, who's now a Presbyterian pastor, has been really practicing the rule of Benedict for probably 10 years now, um, and goes to a monastery, a Benedictine monastery in the desert outside of Los Angeles, uh, once a month. Um, and I have seen such transformation and, and healing in his life. Um, it's a powerful tool. And what I like about it is, you know, it's so easy to think of solitude and silence as being just kind of your own thing mm -hmm. and uh, it's you and God, but it, they always say it should lead to hospitality, it should lead to, lead to action, uh, to making, uh, bringing the kingdom of God to earth, right? Right. Okay. So I want to ask you two more things. Okay, uh, this is hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I appreciate you. Don't you think she's doing great? <laughs> there you go. You're getting. So you. here's here's the scriptures. I asked you to um, to share some scriptures that you thought were really key to your Christian life. Do you want Do you want me to read these to you? Do, do you have them there, or would you like me to read them, or would you like? I brought to them. them. Okay, why don't you read them? And then okay. comment how, th how they've been so meaningful to you. Well, I'm not a person who carries a scripture verse around in my head, but uh, when Steve asked me to think of a scripture that's been meaningful, I went, oh, no, you know, and then um, I thought, First John, that book, when I read it or heard about it long ago, um, I loved it immediately because John was an old man when he wrote this, and he's, he's just down to the essence the words I love are, God is light and God is love. And this is the, these are the verses I kind of highlighted, and then Steve chose to put the whole thing in, right? Yeah. Anyway, so here it is, 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, exclamation point. And that is what we are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. We love because he first loved us and he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, to me, that's the essence of church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then this other scripture lesson was uh, the one that comes to mind was the fruits of the spirit. Galatians, Steve had to tell me where it was. Galatians <laughs> 5.22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And to me, that speaks to me because 
I think, as I said to Steve, you know, as I get older, I just care less about what anybody believes, right? Belief is not the important thing. It's what's in your heart and what you do in your life and how you love your brother. So how does it show up in your life? And that's, are these are pretty aspirational. Yeah, they're pretty good things to have in your life, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the, thank you for that. And then the last thing is, is um, you heard Bob share about kind of the, the later stages of life and uh, you felt like you had some some things you might want to share about that well i think our society is really in a bad way about dying these days um I think we all think well going to church part of it's what it's all about is promising us an afterlife but um, but people are very afraid of dying in our society. Look at what, you know, some 90% of medical costs are incurred in the last year of life or some ridiculous statistic like that. And um, I think, I've, you know, I think we need to help each other die well to die with grace, to die knowing we're loved, to die with supportive people we love around us, mm-hmm. and that we all, um, I feel like at my age, I want to let my f- friends know that I hope to help them to a good death, and I'd like them to help me, mm-hmm. um, whatever that means, but I've seen friends die well, and I think think we talk around it a lot, but in a place like this where we have groups of people who love each other, mm. it, I think we can make it more explicit that we are here to help each other through our last years and to do it with the love and support of each other. I think that would be a good goal. I don't know how we do it. I think that's a great goal. Yeah, I, it's amazing to me how many people I meet who are really afraid of mm-hmm. death, of my dad being one of them. Um, and I think what a beautiful gift we could give to each other to help each other uh, help others usher into the life that Christ promises us. So I think that's beautiful. Can I add one tiny thing? Sure. My mother is a hundred and almost 102 and she's in dementia care. And she's the third elder, my father, my mother-in-law, and this is my mother that I've watched through this stage of life. I've spent a lot of time in dementia care units, and it puts you close to death in a very weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have strong feelings about this stuff. That's, I kind of want to put that out there. It colors your attitude about dying and death and how we treat people at the end of their lives mm. to have to deal with dementia. And the fact is, given our aging population, how much longer we're going to live. So many of us are going to have dementia eventually. You know, statistically, the older you get, the greater your chances that um, we have to come to terms with that as a society. Yeah, so. I agree. Okay. Thank you. And who, who better than the church to deal with it realistically? Yeah. Christ sure did, right? Mm-hmm. Julie, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your, your journey, your life. I uh, trusted you to lead me through this. Thank yeah. you very much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you taught us a lot. Uh-huh. It, it was very good. So let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll take the offering. God, thank you so much for um, 
Julie for her love for you, for her love for this church and this community, the people of this church, um, for the way she shares herself so freely here in uh, our church and also um, outside the church. And I pray for her that you'd continue to draw her close to yourself, that she would more and more see the beauty uh, that is around her every day and delight in uh, who you are and what you have given her. So bless her and Tom and their family. And we pray these things in Christ's name.